Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Well, welcome, welcome, second service. Hello. Uh, if you have your Bibles, is this thing on? If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, as Pastor Ben said, my name is Keaton Walls. I serve as the uh, Luminous Youth Director, and what a pleasure it is to serve in that capacity. Um, today with me, I thought I had just my wife, but then our parents surprised me as well. So, um, But yes, my lovely wife, Octavia, and I, we don't have any real children yet, but this is her maybe up here. Yes. Oh, mm, that's it. And quick story about Octavia and I, I mean, in the eighth grade, like, I knew I was I, I had my we've known each other since the eighth grade and I had my boys with me and I was like guys that's it she's that I'm, I'm gonna marry her and I wasn't even walking with Jesus yet and he's speaking to me about my wife and I, that's not true at all in fact in eighth grade I didn't know Octavia very well we didn't talk very much she wouldn't give me the time of day and in high school it was the same thing she was a lot smarter than I was and she wouldn't give me the time of day then and she's a lot smarter than I am now but when I was a junior in college I got smart too and so like Beyonce say if you like it put a ring on it I did <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we have two beautiful children. One is 11 and the other is, I see you looking like you do, and 11 or 44, and the other is um, only a couple months old. So we love dogs. So we have fur babies, no real babies. Um, and the smaller one, the younger one, he's, man, he's something else. We went all the way to Millersburg, Ohio, flew there and back in a day to pick him up. And wow, what a pleasure it is. It's great. So um, but before we go any further, I just want to take a second really just to honor our pastors, Pastor Ben and Brandy. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. And just it's such a pleasure to serve under you guys. So just thank you for bringing me up here, for pushing me. <laughs> um, but uh, really all of our leaders in this church, our elders and just everybody, uh, just thank you. So uh, before we, or now that we're here, so five, week five, this is week five, and we've been in this series now for five weeks, and if you've been with us at least for the last four weeks, you know that we've been on this discovery, or really this journey, um, of trying to figure out who we are, right? So we've been asking this question, who am I? Who am I when this? And who am I when that? And so today, we're just going to continue right along in that journey. And we're actually going to look at a question. I believe that if you guys will be honest, you'll find it really, um, it, it, it challenges your identity. And so the question we're looking at today is, who am I when I don't feel happy? Right. And this series has been extremely impactful in my life. In fact, Pastor Ben was preaching on who am I when I feel alone maybe a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago. 
excuse me. And that series was, I mean, that, that sermon was great for me. It was, he was asking, he was talking about the who versus the what or the what versus the who. And in that, it really caused me to contemplate like some, in my life, I had been searching for all these what's, hoping that they would tell me who. And so there was a time, and even sometimes now, where the what for me was my career and what I was wanting to do. And so I thought if I found out what I was called to do, that would tell me who I was, which is completely backwards. And so there were so many things I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be a teacher, a coach, a trainer. I mean, and the list just goes on. An architect. I wanted to be a pilot. I was a flight attendant for a few years, but that was horrible. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a firefighter, fight crime in the FBI. I wanted to do all these different things. I even wanted to be a sniper in the military. Who does that? Who sets out to be a sniper, right? Like, I can't even kill a bug, you know, unless it's a roach. I can kill roaches all day. But, um, but these things that I was wanting, you know, ultimately, it had everything to do with, like, I mean, it, it could, you could look at it and say, okay, well, maybe a society, you know, the pressures of, you know, what the American dream or success looks like, but it ultimately had everything to do with me and you and what we put our happiness in. And so that's really what I want to talk about today um, is the things that we put our happiness in. There was even a time in my life when the Lord showed me this and it was a scary time. I actually was putting Octavia before the Lord and he said, hey, you're making her an idol. You're finding all your happiness in her. And it was scary. And so this, uh, this question of happiness, how does it affect our identity? And by the way, should I even be asking this question? You know, most of you, maybe some of you have this view of God that, well, the God we serve only wants us to be holy, but does he really want us to be happy? Or is he just concerned with the things that we do for him or how we appear or how we serve? Well, I want to let you know he actually cares about your happiness. And so um, we're going to look at Solomon and, and what he wants to tell us about meaning in life, about fulfillment in life, about joy in life, about happiness in life. But really quickly, I want to look at the words of Jesus and his, in his uh, sermon on the mount, in his famous sermon. Uh, there were a number of times you'll find in Matthew, <clears throat> excuse me, another a number of times you'll find in Matthew where Jesus uses this word, blessed. And he says, blessed are those who this and blessed are those who that. And so in Matthew 5, 5, he says, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Man, you got to, I don't know if it's the weather or what, but there's a little bug in my throat. Maybe, maybe I should be a sniper after all. Um, <laughs> So that, that word blessed in the Greek, it actually means markerios, which if translated means uh, you can have a happiness, right? So that question you should no longer have if God wants to know if you're happy. But the more humble you are, the more humility that you have, the more happiness you can have is what God's saying here. And so that's more humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God. And more real exaltation is what you experience and not this fickle, trite, uh, worldly exaltation that we'll find here in a moment that one of our friends in the Bible experiences. And so did you guys know that fleeting experiences leave an imprint on the brain? I was reading that and it's very interesting. Or how about that our negative, like things that ha happen to you in life, negative impact, 
in, on your life, they actually, uh, your brain tends to emphasize those things more than it does the positive. But there's also a joy center in your brain, which I thought was super interesting. Uh, took me all the way back to psychology, but in the right, or behind the right eye, in the orbital prefrontal cortex, there's this joy center. And uh, while every other part of your brain is fully developed, this is the only part that can continue to grow. And so how many of you want to grow that joy center, right? Um, more <laughs> random facts. The, de the Declaration of Independence actually says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And so it's actually an inalienable right. It's, it's a fundamental part. Thank you, Jesus. It's a fundamental part of being an American. Um, and so we have in our culture, for whatever reason, this idea that this, this happiness is something that we should be pursuing. And there are many ways to find happiness, to obtain it, to reach out, grab it. And there are many polls online that talk about how to be happy, how to stay happy, or for those of you who want sadness, how to find that too. Um, and the poll that I chose was the Harris Poll, and it's been around since the 1960s. And it actually says that if we're being honest, 33%, only 33% of people are truly happy, 33%. And so if that's us in here, this church of a 1,000, come on, somebody. <laughs> that's 33% here, right? That's another 33%, and then this 33%. And so what I want to do is you guys are free to go because you're the only ones that are really happy, and we'll just talk to you guys, right? That's, that's crazy to really think, of, think about, though. Um, and so this happiness, if, if it's something that, you know, you and I are after, something that we should be pursuing and something that Jesus says we can have, something that you and I deeply desire, then why are so few of us experiencing it, right? That's, that's the question I would have for you. Uh, and I believe that for a number of different reasons, we could say we're unhappy or maybe we're not as happy as we should be. First, happiness is an elusive feeling. It's gone. It's, it's here for a moment and then it vanishes, right? That's, that's happiness. Kind of like Snapchat. Y'all know this. Well, some of you know about Snapchat. Some of you may not. <laughs> I don't have a Snapchat, but when I've seen Snapchat and it's like it's here for a moment and then it's gone. You can't get it back sometimes. Um, secondly, I think that if left alone with your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own remedies or fixes to your own issues and circumstances going on in your life, it's hard to find happiness or stay happy when you're hurting, right? You got to really think about that. There's so many things in this world that cause pain and hurt. But if you don't understand who Jesus is, it's hard to be happy when you're hurting. Um, finally, we just, it's simple. We put things, we put our happiness in things that just can't deliver. And if they can, they certainly weren't meant to sustain us. So... I mean, you can have the best, you know, mentor or strive to be the best this or the best that, the best spouse. Maybe you just want to be the best friend. But if that's where it stops, if headed in the wrong direction and you don't understand some deeper truths about who Jesus is and what he's done for you personally, you never really arrive at that place of happiness. And so you're left saying, well, who am I when I don't feel happy, right? And so that, my friends, brings us to the life of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And you're going to find, if you don't know Solomon yet, man, this guy, he was, he was something. Wisest man to ever live. Um, 
But before we go into that, uh, well, actually, they call Solomon, they say this, this book of Ecclesiastes, they actually say it's the diary of a billionaire. And I don't know if you know any billionaires, but he's about to, he's about to tell us something here. And so Ecclesiastes means preacher or teacher. So if I'm in your seats, I'm wondering, well, what does Solomon want to teach me about how I should live? Who was Solomon? Solomon is, uh, he was like the wealthiest guy to ever live. Let's start with that. And not only that, he was the wisest man to ever live. And so Solomon was so wise that people from all over the world would come and sit at his feet just to uh, glean from him and get wisdom from him. He was the richest man to ever live. Solomon had miles and miles of land, like, and not to mention he was a great king of Israel. Um, the son of David, also in Jesus' line. And so talking about his wealth and riches, Solomon had an excess, if he were living today, $2.2 trillion. That cancels our, well, maybe our whole debt in America. He's worth more than any country in the world. And this, that wasn't it. He didn't just have money. Like if you knew Solomon, you were hanging out with him. If he had like parties, he had the best of them. Only parties you could dream about. Most lavish living quarters and just the best things that you could ever ask for. I mean, if it was food, Solomon had the best, like organic, keto. I know some of you are doing the paleo or if you're old school, you're on Atkins. I mean, it, whatever you wanted, like he had it. That was, that was him. Personal servants waiting on his every beck and call. This is Solomon. This is the Bible, guys, organic in the Bible. No, but um, then you say, well, what about romance? Oh, he had it. 300 wives, 700 concubines. Solomon was that guy. <laughs> Let me just say. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard enough time pleasing just one wife. Talk about 300, 1,000 women. That's a lot, right? Now, this guy, Solomon, he wasn't just prosperous for himself. No, he made the entire nation of Israel prosperous. In fact, it was probably the most prosperous it had ever been during the 40 years that Solomon reigned as king. And they even called it the Golden Age. And so I don't bring all this up to glamorize his life, but just to paint a picture of who he was and the things that he was after. And so you probably say, well, okay, what's wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with money or having nice things. That's not why we're talking about Solomon. In fact, who doesn't want a lot of money? I know I sure do, right? But what's wrong is when you decide that all of your hope, your happiness, and your satisfaction is in those things. And you think it's going to deliver something, it just simply can't. And so here we have the richest and the wisest man, Solomon. And what does he want to say to us? Well, he starts his diary off with a warning. And so in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And there are actually exclamation points in this. And so you've got this rich guy who's like emphasizing that the things in my life are meaningless. I have it all. Now, I want you to know this about Solomon. He's a guy who did not say no to pleasure. It says in chapter two that he uh, desired things and he went after them. Every pleasure that he desired, he set after. And so now he's calling them meaningless, all right? This word meaningless in the Hebrew, it means habel, or um, 
it, it's like a vapor or a smoke, like, like it's getting cold outside. And, you know, when you take a breath and you see your breath, wow, really cool, but then it's gone, right? That's kind of what he's saying about uh, these things. And so he uses that concept in the same way interchangeably with chasing after a wind. Remember, we're talking about a rich guy here. Can I just get a million dollars, Solomon, please? Um, now, the best way that I could ex describe this or illustrate this would be like these wells you see here. And if you've got a well, and the, let's say the well of life, and Solomon is dipping down into that well, and when you put your bucket in a well, you're expecting something uh, that will satisfy you when you pull it up, right? And so here you've got Solomon putting his bucket in the well, and over and over again, he's pulling things out, and he's saying, Habel, Habel, meaningless, meaningless. And so what is Solomon saying to us? What are you putting your hope in, right? Where's your focus in life? Now, some of you, you say, man, I was excited to see Keaton up there, but this is kind of discouraging. Like, why, why is this so disheartening? But Solomon doesn't leave us with just uh, what you should and shouldn't do, although he very strongly emphasizes, don't do what I did. It doesn't work. I've tried it. And even now, some of you are thinking, okay, that's fine. So you're turning your head. You know, I... I just want a little taste. Let me just get a taste of that $2.2 trillion, and I'll tell you whether Solomon did it right or not, right? But, you know, I think that as, as you further your, your walk or as you journey with God, the more and more you understand these deeper truths about him and just these revelations, you realize that what Solomon's saying is true. You know, these things don't add up. They're great for a moment, but they're not meant to last. And so then in, in chapter 3, you see Solomon, he starts to talk about the uh, timing of God and, and the seasons of God, and he gives us a little hope. He doesn't leave you hanging on what you should put your bucket in and what you, know, what you should be trying to pull out. And so in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. It's like a poem. My voice is going out. See what it's like now. All right. <laughs> um, he, has set, he has also set, he has made everything beautiful in his time, verse 11. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And even that point right there, he set eternity in the human heart. Many of you say, well, if that's the case, let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's go to heaven. But no, it's, it's this understanding that you're supposed to have that living here is one thing, but you're not living for here. You're living for the things after here, the, the second life that you have. And, you know, sometimes or oftentimes that's why we find happiness failing us because we don't understand that eternity is what's set in our hearts. So we're looking for that car or that girl to please us or whatever, and it just simply can't. It can't. And so he continues, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. And then he gives it to us. This is a gift from God. And so you've got this rich and this wise and this pleasurable man who's just about everything under the sun, who's telling you that it doesn't mean anything. Just be with people, be in community, love each other, you know, eat and drink and be merry, as that saying goes. Um, and for you and I, the human condition, we understand at this point, or you should, that we're broken. We're broken people, right? And so as we continue to strive for stuff, simply stuff, 
we find that it, it just doesn't add up. It simply doesn't. Some of you, you know, I was up here preparing for this on a Saturday night. It was a bad idea. I mean, there's a club here and a club there, and the music is banging. And some of you, you know, you've been, you search and you go to those clubs every night. If you're like me, I go to the club all the time. Youth club, though. Not, <laughs> not the real club. Uh, but, you know, you're looking for this and you're looking for that, and maybe you're, you're trying to find this. Or some of you in this place today, you said, well, hey, I heard church is where you find them, so I'm going to go to church. And here you are, you're looking for something. But I got to let you know that it won't satisfy you. Nothing's going to satisfy you. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to bring that contentment, that joy, that peace, that long sense of satisfaction that you're looking for, that happiness. You're not going to find it in those things. And so if there's one thing I want you to get, we're going to talk about practically how we can, we can find a different version of happiness. But church, I got to let you know that your happiness is, is more than an elusive feeling. It's more than your emotions. Jesus is saying, let my life, the life that I live, live through you. And I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so we really have to let that sink deep down. Now, I like this because there's a contrast here, right? So we've been talking about Solomon and, and Jesus and what they want to say to us. Well, here on the, on the one hand, you've got Solomon, a guy who had every pleasure he could desire, and he lived it to the fullest, yet he was empty. And then on the other hand, you've got Jesus who emptied himself, literally hung on a cross for you and for me, yet he lived full. And so the question is, what are you putting your happiness in, right? How do I make that real for me, Keaton? That's great. Like, you, okay, we've got happiness. We see Solomon's life, but, but how do I apply that to my own life is something you may be asking. Well, first, you got to stop putting your happiness in the wrong places, whether it's relationships, girls, guys, you know, things, your money, your job, your your, your schooling. I remember Octavia used to tell me, it's, your identity is not in school, Keaton. And so I started failing everything. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but seriously, you got to stop praising the one or praising the things of this world and start praising the one who created this world. In fact, happiness is, is not about this uh, pursuit or the pursuit of happiness, but instead it's, it's about the pursuit of a person. That person is Jesus. And so you got to walk away with that. Um, okay, but then maybe some of you say, well, that's fine. But what about when things aren't going so well? What about when this life that I've set up and that I've, I've, I've fathomed for so long doesn't work in my favor? What happens when there's divorce or there's strife in my marriage or there's a miscarriage or there's, there's death or sickness? And those things are fine. I get it. Happiness, unhappiness comes to us. It happens. And it's not wrong to be unhappy. It's wrong to stay unhappy because that's not the life that Jesus intended for you and for me. And so understand that. Earlier, I talked about the what versus the who and me putting my hope in the what, hoping that it would tell me who I was. And one of those careers I was really gung-ho about was law school. 
That's right, I'm the smartest man in here, and I was gonna go to law school, I'm just kidding. But I was, I was, I was wanting to go to law school very badly. And so I'm studying for the LSAT, and I had my hope in this, and it was for all the wrong reasons. And God had to reveal that to me, really just make a heart change. And so as I'm preparing for this LSAT, I then find out that my dog of nine years, if you don't know by now, Octavia and I love dogs, maybe her more than me, Maybe not, but his name's Simba, and I'm about to have to put him down the day I'm taking the LSAT. But not only that, then I'm going to training for this new job I just got with Southwest Airlines, and I have to prepare for that. And so I'm thinking, well, why is all this going on? And my hope and my trust and everything I wanted was in this job that I hadn't even had yet, this LSAT, this law school. And then God began to really do some things in my heart. And so after I failed miserably, smartest guy, right? I failed miserably. I thought, well, maybe I'll go back. Maybe I'll prove everybody wrong. Maybe I'll show you that I can be the best lawyer. But I just wanted the accolades. I just wanted the, the, the title, the, what it looks like to be a lawyer, put on the bow tie and, and be a peer, a, a, one of the greatest amongst my peers. I didn't want it for the right reasons. And so instead, I began to give myself away. As God began to close that door, I was like, no, God, I'm not, I'm not ready. Like, keep it open, please. So I looked for a window, and that wasn't open. And I really had to lay down this law school thing and stop chasing after the wind. And now, if you're in law school or you're an attorney, that's great. I don't, you know, no knock against attorneys. I love attorneys. But for me, I had to start giving myself away. And so I got involved in youth, and I started you know, really giving myself to those young people, our young youth students. And I got involved in our church and I became the youth director and I got involved in some other things in the city of San Antonio. And it just really began to bless my life. I stopped looking for the excess in money and what my job could bring me because ultimately it was never going to deliver what I was looking for. And so you say, okay, Keaton, that's fine. That's great. How can I find Jesus' version of happiness? There's three things I want to leave you with. Number one, you've got to be willing to acknowledge the influence happiness has on our identity. That is fleeting. It's, it's this thing that it's here today, gone tomorrow. Or maybe it's gone today. It's like here for a moment and then it's gone. And some of that starts with your emotion. It starts with your thoughts and, you know, all these different things. Or, but maybe some of you guys, have you, any of you guys ever been on a vacation? Raise the hands. I like crowd participation. That's what I'm talking about. She's like, yes, I just got back. Right? Well, and if not, then maybe you've been on a mission trip. Or maybe you've been to a youth conference or a men's retreat or even a women's retreat. We had a men's retreat uh, a few months ago, and it was great. I mean, the speaker was just amazing. He said some things that really impacted my life. Well, if you are familiar with any of those types of events, you know there's a, an extreme high when you get there and this release of endorphins, right? So what I call it is mission trip high and then mission trip depression or vacation high and then vacation depression. 
So what happens when that release of endorphins is no longer there or uh, that, that, that experience that you had with that special person, that, that speaker, they're not in your life every day or when you wake up and you just feel sad, they're not there to encourage you, right? What do you do with that? And so you got to understand that if you let emotion rule your life, it tells you that you're better than you think you are. And then on the flip side, it tells you that you're worse than you think you are. It's a terrible guide. You can't live your life like that. And really, it starts up here. It starts with your thoughts. You know, then things aren't going your way, and you say, oh, well, maybe that's not meant for me. Or, oh, if I just had that car, or if I just had that job, or if I could just marry that person, then life would be great. And it's, it's, it's not true. You got to get around some community that's going to help build you up. And you got to understand that happiness, according to what Solomon is telling us and what Jesus is telling us, is more than an elusive feeling based not on that pursuit of happiness, but on Jesus. you got to remember that. And so secondly, um, if you want to experience Jesus' version of happiness, you have to be willing to be confrontational. You've got to confront your unhappiness. You have to do it. I have to do it. We all have to do this. This is something that just has to be done. Unless you just want to stay in that place and, hey, you do you and we're going to do us now. Um, but it's, it's subtle. It's, it, it comes in, you know, very subtly and then it just kind of just, just makes its way as your identity. And you can't have that. You got to be confrontational. You got to say, no, I'm not letting you in here because if I do, I don't know how long you're going to stay. And so unhappiness, I use this analogy because you know by now I love dogs and Octavia loves dogs. And so she's an old woman now. She just turned 30. Her 20s are gone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we both turned 30 this uh, past September and I got Octavia. We got her a puppy. And here he is. That's Storm. Oh, I know. He's amazing sometimes. But how many of you know this? When you name some, we named him Storm. She named him Storm. I didn't like the name, and I think what I didn't like was probably prophetic. He's the color of your chairs, right? He's stormy gray, and we didn't just name him Storm because uh, he looks that color. I don't know if Octavia had this in her mind or what, but he is not just a stormy gray color. He is a storm. Like, literally, he runs around like a little rodent. You try to catch him, he runs out of the couch. He's short. Yeah, I wish I had him here. I'd show you. But, um, but anyway, so I'm getting ready for, for some event. I don't know. I had to be somewhere, and I was running late. And I go to open the cage, and I'm about to pull him out, let him use the restroom. We're potty training him. It's going great. But then I realized he pooped all over his cage. And it wasn't pretty. It was nasty. It was disgusting. It stunk. He went back to sleep in it. How do you do that? That's gross, man. And I knew if I let him out and walked him to his pad to pee, he would have gotten, he wasn't going to walk to that pad. He would have pooped all over the place or got his poop all over the place. I mean, it would have been on the walls. It would have been in the carpet. It would have been in the living room, on the couch. And when Octavia got home, she'd be livid. And I bring that up because that's kind of like unhappiness. It's subtle, but if you let it in, it gets everywhere. It's, it gets everywhere. And so you got to be willing to confront your unhappiness. If not, you're sitting there with French bulldog poop everywhere. <laughs> um, and you, you really just got to say no. You got to say no to your unhappiness. Unhappiness steals joy and contentment from your life. 
You can't let people dictate your happiness. You know, something doesn't go right at work. Something doesn't happen the way you expected it to. Or maybe you have a disagreement. You know, when you're alone in that isolation place, that's when the enemy starts to tempt you. For sure, for me, I have those thoughts all the time where I got to say, nope, I'm taking that thought captive. I'm going to grow that joy center. Nah, man, devil, get out of here. I'm not, I'm not doing it because then I'll have gold or uh, French bulldog poop everywhere. Now, thirdly, if you want to experience this happiness, this version that Jesus says you can have, and this is more of the practical one, how do I make these choices practical so I can experience that? And there are a number of ways that you can do that, but if we're looking at what Solomon said, he said, don't do it this way, like the way I've been doing it, 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 it just doesn't work. He was a guy who went after everything, every pleasure he desired. Can you imagine if you said, oh, I desire that, I want it, I'm going to go get it for everything in your life? And they were great for a time, but he said, don't do it my way. I did it wrong. And so he lived empty, right? But then you have Jesus who lived a lowly life, and he lived full. He didn't go after everything he desired. He was attacked, and it says that literally experience every temptation. So there's nothing new. So you can't say, oh, man, well, you haven't heard of this. That's why I say yes to this, because this is new. No, Jesus was tempted by it all. How do we do this practically? Number one, you got to stop complaining and blaming your unhappiness on others. You got to take responsibility. Can I get an amen? You're like, I'm not taking responsibility for my unhappiness. It's not my fault that I lost my job or, you know, that I got into that car wreck and it wasn't my fault. It's true. Maybe it wasn't. But you got to find a way to get, unha- get happy. You got to make gratitude a part of your daily life. Find something to be thankful for. If you have problems with that or you can't find something to be thankful for, come talk to me after this. We'll help you create a list. You know, give your life away. Make that joy center in your brain start to low, grow a little bit. Thirdly, you got to choose to generously serve and bless others without expectation of return. That LSAT in that law school was supposed to fulfill me. It was supposed to satisfy me. But when God started changing my heart, I stopped making it about me, you know, and me wanting this job. And instead, I started giving myself away, as I said earlier, to my wife and to the youth. And, you know, the youth students may not know this, but being with them blesses me far more than it blesses them. You know, and that's, that's what that does. When you start serving other people, you realize that, man, I am really being blessed. And you no longer are worrying about those things that you think are going to fill you. Lastly, you got to surround yourselves with others who have the same vision you do i.e. Luminous or uh, whatever church you find yourself in. If this isn't the place, that's fine. But get around some people who agree with you and, and with what version, you know, of your life you're trying to find. You know, be the best version of you and, and find that happiness. If you are here, you can join a life group. If you decide to call Luminous home, take a class. My wife took the financial peace class and is blessing us. She took it like last year. Find somebody more jacked up than you. Yes, do it. I mean, you say, oh, man, I got all these issues. I don't know if, I, if happiness is for me. Oh, grab the one-to-one book. If you don't know what it is, it's probably at the Welcome Center. Sit down and have coffee with somebody, and, and then, you know, let that be it. Let that be it. Go through that with them and, and find some happiness. 
I talked about this illustration of the well and you, you know, you digging in that well and you looking for um, things in your life. And I have these up here because this one is, is this is my well. Yes, it has wonderful water at the bottom. And, and I, I use this because if this is my well and I continue to uh, reach down in that well and I just have to keep pulling that bucket up, I'm going to be tired because everything I pull up out of that bucket is not going to sustain me. It won't quench my thirst. But instead, there's another well. And this one, although it looks like my well, it's actually not. This is this represents God's well. And so if you decide to come to this well, then you're able to pull up that water that does not, does not, it satisfies. That's what it does. And so in Luke 22:42, Jesus actually says this while he's praying and he knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he's, he's burdened, you know, it says to the point of death, but he says, yet not my will, let your will be done. And so, yes, we're looking at my will and God's will, but this could also be my will and God's will. And so the question would be, are you looking to your will or to your will, hoping that it'll fill you? Or are you going to God's will? Are you going to the source are you going to submit your will up under his will and watch how he blesses your life? Jesus told that Samaritan woman that if you just take a sip of the water that I give you, you will no longer thirst. And so that's the question for today. Whose will are you following? Is it your own? Is it someone else's or is it God's? And so as we begin to close, um, if you guys wouldn't mind standing with me, And if you don't mind, just closing your eyes. You know, I'm, there's two groups of people that I want to talk to in this. And, you know, you've got your will, and then you've got the will of God. You've got your will, and then you've got the will of God. And I believe there's people in here, you know, that say, well, I've never done this before. I don't know what it looks like to to not follow my will, to not do the things that I desire. You know, I, I hear this thing about Jesus, but I don't know him. And I'm afraid that if I give my life to him, I have to lay down what I want to do. And I got to start following him and doing what he desires for me. And if you've never trusted Jesus fully, if you've never given, his, given your life to him, let me tell you, it's a beautiful thing. It's the best decision you'll ever make once you do. And so if there's anybody in here today that says, well, I want to find Jesus' version of happiness. I want to lay down my will and start to chase after his will and his will, knowing he'll satisfy me. I just want you to raise your hand if you've never given your life to Jesus. Secondly, if maybe you say, well, yeah, that's great. I've been walking with Jesus. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have a life full and in love with Jesus and just passionate. But when I was on my way and I was doing everything that God has been asking of me, I started to entertain old thoughts and go to old places and do old things. And maybe you dropped Jesus' will and you started to walk back to your own will. And maybe you're wondering, well, can I go back to God? Will he accept me again? 
Or is that it? Did I just sever that tie and he no longer wants me or I'm used and I'm, I'm washed up? Well, I want to let you know that this well, you can, you can let it dry up. You can decide to stop drawing from it. You can walk back over to God and with open arms, he says, come back. Because what I have for you is good. And so if that's you this morning and you've just been wanting to get back in relationship, back in, in community and, and just intimacy with God, I want to pray for you. I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. Well, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your, thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that, um, that your will is far better than any will or any well or any riches that I could ever, ever fathom having, God that you have paid it all for me so that I could be in right standing with you and have a life that leads or that, that lasts long after this one's washed up and over with, God. And so I pray for every heart in this church, God, that they will be blessed, that whatever they walked in with, whatever, whatever poop in their life has been running their life, God, that they would just say no and decide, I'm going to follow you again. I'm going to give you, I want to rededicate my life to you, God, because you are worthy alone. So, Father, I just thank you and ask that you bless every person in this church. Amen.